effective online courses are designed. It's not just, a, here's my face-to-face -face course and I'm going to drag some stuff into Brightspace and then I'll call it online. What I'm hoping we get to, and I think we've got glimpses of it, where the tools and platforms become an ecosystem. If you want to do this kind of a thing, you use this tool or this combination of tools and you use it in these ways and we can support you in that. If, if we just say, go do whatever you want, the experience for the students kind of sucks because they have to learn all of these different tools. They've got to have maybe 50 different logins and it becomes kind of chaos, right? So this idea of the ecosystem is how do you find flexibility so that teachers and students are able to do what they need to do without having to battle against the limits of the software that's provided by the institution. You're listening to What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary, here to deconstruct complex computer science concepts bit by bit and explain what the tech is going on. My name is Paolo. My name is Lynn. In this episode, we talk to Darcy Norman, manager of the Learning Technologies Group in the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning, as well as a PhD candidate in the UCalgary Computational Media Design Program. Today, we discuss what the tech is up with EdTech and how crucial technology is in the current landscape of teaching and learning. Without further ado, please welcome our guest, Darcy Norman. Welcome, Darcy, to the show. Thank you. Good to, good to be here. Why don't we start off with who are you? What are you currently doing? Um, just give us a quick overview of you know your current positions and maybe some of the projects you're working on. Or sure, so I'm Darcy Norman. I'm uh, uh, I'm wearing a couple different hats here uh, on my my day job hat. I'm manager of learning technologies at the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning, Sweet. and my student hat is uh, I'm a PhD student in uh, computational media design, um, and we can talk a little bit about those two actually overlap really nicely. Uh, in the day job at the Taylor Institute, we do a lot of work with, um, so my team is the Learning Technologies Group, and we work with instructors who are integrating technology into the courses. Uh, so it could be face-to-face, -face. you're in a classroom and you want to do a thing with your students with some kind of tech. Well, we can actually help sort of design and do some consultation. Um, we also help to facilitate and manage the online learning platforms for the university. So Brightspace, D2L, uh, Zoom, where we're recording this call. Uh, Ujo, which is the video uh, uh, platform uh, for, it's like YouTube for the, for the university and, and integrating that with D2L, et cetera. Uh, Top Hat for student response system for asking questions during a class. Um, we've also built a platform, uh, badges.ucalgary.ca for, for, for awarding micro-credentials uh, outside of a course. Uh, so building the software to do that, working with people to research, is it effective? Um, so, sort of providing platforms for, for teaching and learning at the university. So that's the day job side. Um, and what's sort of happened over the last many years is these teaching and learning experiences have become really media rich, really technology rich. It's, it's all mediated by software and hardware. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of become difficult to describe. It used to be, you know, back in the olden days, if, if you picture university learning, it's somebody sitting in a lecture hall for 50 minutes and then they get up and they move to the next lecture hall and they sit for 50 minutes and they take mm -hmm. notes. That's how it was when I was an undergrad, mostly. I had a few really amazing uh, exceptions to that, but mostly that's what it was back in the olden days. Mm. Um, now, yeah, there's still some lecturing. Lecturing, uh, I'm not anti-lecture. Good lectures are amazing. It's storytelling. It's powerful. Um, but we also have many different ways of teaching. So what, what's called active learning or learning or blended learning. Mm. Uh, and people are doing things. So st students are coming to class, not necessarily to listen to a presentation, but to do stuff. 
Right. Um, and that doing stuff is different in, in each discipline. So engineering students do things differently than what Haskane students do, than nursing, than medicine. And so that complexity of what happens in the classroom makes it really interesting to describe. It's, it's really rich and deep and buried. And so we can't just say, well, this is what a classroom looks like anymore. And that's kind of where my PhD work is coming in, where I'm looking at um, adapting. It, it sounds kind of interesting at, 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 at first blush, but bear with me. Adapting research methods for the study of video games. And okay. so if we're looking at this as a really rich, integrated, uh, narrative rich, media rich, interactively rich environment, well, that's video games. And so I'm not saying teaching and learning literally is a video game, but the vocabulary and the frameworks, uh, the tools that we use to look at video games um, to analyze, formally analyze what's going on, what are people doing, what are their goals, what are they trying to achieve, uh, what's actually happening within the game, and you know, the level design, all that. Yeah. We can use the, that vocabulary and apply it to the modern classroom. What's actually happening here? Is it just a lecture? Is it a cutscene? Is it, uh, is it uh, you know, a platformer game where you're just Mario bouncing along or is it something where you're branching and making decisions and uh, mm. taking on different roles during the thing? Uh, mm. One of the interesting concepts that came out of the video game studies is uh, a concept called uh, segmentation. So you launch a game and it's got the logo of, you know, uh, of id, you know, there's id, you know, you have the splash screen and the, and the fancy music and stuff. And then you get the title screen and you get the menus and then you, you pick your difficulty and you start the game. Each of those is kind of a segment. There's a different thing going on. And then during the game, depending on the difficulty you've chosen and maybe the mission you've chosen, whatever, you actually get graphics on screen. So you get a HUD, you get a heads up display that shows your health and your score and you know, your, the compass and the map and all these kind of things, right? So you know it's a certain kind of interact and you know, you're using the controller or the mouse or whatever you're using. Um, you die or you level up and all of a sudden there's a cutscene, and there's now we're in a nar narrative mode where maybe there's some storytelling, right? They're setting mm -hmm. the stage for the next, they're giving you a reward for what happened before and doing this sort of bridge exercise. So there's another segment and then you start the next one and maybe it's a different form of interactivity in the next one. Maybe it's not, you're running through a maze shooting. Maybe you're doing, you know, an airdrop from something and you're doing something in three different. So the segments demarcate what's happening in, in the game. Mm -hmm. And my idea basically is, well, we can look at the classroom learning as having segments as well, right? You, you get mm -hmm. to class and maybe there's a, a narrative cutscene where it's an introductory presentation, right? The prof's talking about, you know, whatever the topic is for the day. Um, and then there's a transition. You're choosing your difficulty, you're selecting your roles. Um, um, you know, you're in, the, you're in the blue bus about to get airdropped in, right? And you're, <laughs> picking, you're, you're loading up. Um, and now if it's a group pro uh, project, someone's volunteering or being assigned as the group leader and yeah. someone else is the, maybe they're the, uh, you know, if it's a code project, someone's actually writing the code during the thing and someone's presenting it back to the class, right? So they're self-assigning a lot of times these roles and it's changing what's happening in the classroom. Okay, mm -hmm. so that happens for a little while and there's another transition, another end of that segment and maybe they're coming back to present different roles, different, different uh, things happening in the classroom. And so we're looking at ways to sort of document and, and make sense of that uh, with the goal being not just, okay, cool, we figured out what's happening, but maybe there are interesting patterns and then we can find, well, if you're trying to do this kind of thing, here's some really good ways to do that. And mm -hmm. then we can use that to improve teaching and learning in other classes. Um, so based on coming up with this, what's called an ontology or a, a set of patterns, if you're trying to do this, here's some really good ways, here's some good tools, here's people to talk to who have done that. Maybe they're from other disciplines. It doesn't matter if they're doing the same kind of patterns. Yeah. That's kind of where we're getting out on the sort of the, the research side of things. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm I'm kind of curious. So you, um, we did a little research, um, kind of on on your your past, and uh, we noticed that you had a bachelor's of bachelor of science, bachelor's of science, and a master's in science. Yeah. Um, but the the bachelor's in science was in zoology, I believe. Yeah, no. The typical <laughs> pathway for somebody to go into ed tech is to start in zoology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes total total you, sense. You're our first uh, interview with. Uh, Completely I'm different. Outlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah there you go. it's interesting. So, so well, well, the idea back back, you know, when I was young, the the plan I was I was pre med. I was right. uh, me and my friends were going through med, so zoology was kind of like the pre med path at the, at the university. Um, and then I got to a stage where I realized, you know, you're taking the zoology labs, and I realized I'm kind of too squeamish to go into full medicine. So I kind of <laughs> let's back out and yeah. that's kind of grow. So yeah, you do a little surgeries and procedures. Uh, maybe that's not for me. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, I went into education. I just got my bachelor of education as an after degree right. um, and did my practice looking at secondary science teaching. So grades seven through 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really cool. At the time we had a new conservative government, lots of cuts. Deja <laughs> vu a little bit here. Uh, yeah. but no jobs in teaching. So I wound up actually working at the faculty of nursing uh, when they were doing in their initial um, online courses. This was back in like 1994 when I started there. Yeah, interesting. Uh, 94, 95. So we did the, um, the first four credit, what we think were the first four credit um, online courses in Western Canada back, back then. So it was part huh. of a program. It wasn't just a one-off. It was actually this series of courses as part of a program. So we did that. We did a, a series of CD-ROMs, which you guys won't know this, but there's these shiny disks that you put inside a computer. <laughs> yeah. uh, and there's a laser that actually shines on to, to load your app. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, doing a series of these to basically teach people uh, psychomotor skills. How do you do a nasogastric tube? How do you do a central line care? All that all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, a lot of early work on, on that for online and it turned into basically online learning um, yeah, in the nineties, back in the nineties. Um, and then I went downtown to work for a couple of years at a company called Discoverware, making a, uh, a media rich learning management system to teach people how to use Microsoft office essentially. Um, but it was kind of a cool experience, right? So you're in, you're in a downtown in the, in the corporate environment, building this stuff. It's, it was basically a startup mm-hmm. and that was a blast. And then the dot-com bubble kind of went, and I wound up back at the university uh, at what was called the Learning Commons. This was a few generations before what is the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning mm-hmm. as an educational technology consultant. So we built things like uh, my major project was uh, a learning object repository. So people are creating media. This was before Google made it easy, before you could just you know drag stuff into, the inter- in, into a browser and you have it up there. So building the infrastructure to let people share content and right. to describe the content, to apply metadata and schemas and... Uh, I did things like, you know, this was back in 2002, I think 2002, 2003, integrating a wiki so you could have discussions about the content, uh, integrating all kinds of, you know, community elements. So it's not just here's a photograph of a gopher in southern Alberta, but, you know, what's the species? You know, yeah. where's a link to a video of it? Where, where can I find more about this? Who else is studying this? And sort of providing tools to sort of open that up. So that's kind of, yeah, where we got from there. Uh, and then, yeah, the role just kind of snowballed. I got my master's of science in educational technology. Oh, and, nice. Uh, yeah, through, uh, through Workland at U of C. Yeah. And uh, about the month after I got that, my current role at the Taylor Institute opened up that required a master's degree. So it was like perfect timing. I guess I can apply for that now. <laughs> uh, and I've been there since uh, almost yeah, a few years now. So that's been wow. fun. Yeah. So, so it's, so the masters was kind of like your first moment where you kind of intersected with, uh, with computer science and the computer science world, or was there kind of a, 
previous well, never, so that's the, the irony and if any of my computer science uh, supervisors and whatnot are listening um, <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I had never taken a computer science an official computer science course right. until my PhD courses uh, so oh, I took wow. information visualization with Sheila Carpendale which is fantastic uh, I took yeah. a human robots in, interaction course with Adrian Charlin again fantastic really really rich interesting courses but it wasn't like write an operating system Mm -hmm. uh, I yeah. had, I've written code for you know 30 years, more than that, um, but self-taught, oh. right? You, you just you play with. This is before you could just go to uh, you know Stack Overflow and find the answers. You actually had to read the the vocabulary and build the thing. Yeah. Um, but not formally trained, which is kind of a weird thing. That's why CMD might be kind of perfect. So I come in not as a computer science, formally trained software engineer perspective, but. Yeah, I, I, we can figure out how something will go, and I can, might see how that might connect to something that's completely unrelated. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of a fun connection. That's kind of totally. how we come and stuff. Yeah, and, and so sorry, you, you said you taught yourself code. Yeah. Wow, and and so so when when was your first kind of moment of like I want to learn code? I want to <laughs> sorry, like what? When you okay, call how that? old do I have to out myself here? So when no, I was, no, no, no. <laughs> when I was a wee lad, uh, the Commodore VIC twenty came out, right? And this was yeah. I don't know, must have been like nineteen eighty or something. Yeah. Uh, it had, I think it was 2K of RAM. You had plugged it into your, into your TV and you, you, had to, you get a, a magazine that was called Compute Magazine. You'd actually type in the basic programs into, into the computer, save it on tape, and that's how you got your app. That was your app store. Mm. Um, so starting wow. that, and then I realized, well, that's just text. I can write text. And so you'd start writing your own. So I'd write like uh, choose your own adventure uh, games or, and this is where it sounds even nerdier than I'm intending, but uh, a D&D &D character generator, right? So it, it, yeah. it rolls the dice and it does the thing and then it prints it out on the dot matrix printer, uh, which at the time that felt like science fiction. Here I'm writing text on a keyboard and it's doing a thing and now I can play a game. That's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it kind of snowballed from there, right? So it's just, it was always jobs where I was like, oh yeah, I guess I'll try making a thing. And uh, I mean, for a while there, I worked at the Alberta Science Center uh, before it turned into TELUS Spark. But we had an exhibit, oh, it would have been mid 90s, early 90s, maybe, uh, called uh, uh, Backyard Monsters. And it was these big robot bugs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wrote a hypercard stack for it. Uh, so we'd have for kids who'd come and they're kind of maybe freaked out by being in a crowd, but they can go in this little, it was a, a Macintosh classic computer over in the side and they can actually maybe explore, look through a scene, look for, look for some bugs and play a game, that kind of thing. So, hmm. you know, writing stuff, even though, yeah, sure. I guess we'll figure out how to do that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I love how it's, you know, it's, it's all just like problem solving within the educational kind of field, which is, is, you know, your kind of specialty here. And so, you know, going into, um, everything that's been going on here with the pandemic and you know we we understand that you've you, you've been a key player let's say in just making sure things run smoothly i guess as we uh transition to online delivery and uh, so, so you know we're, we're curious like what what were the major challenges and the kind of things that you had to set up here for for, for the big covid pivot yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the amazing things. So I've been doing ed tech for a long time, for decades. And this yeah. is the first time in my career where I've been able to say, I trust that the tools that we use will work. Mm -hmm. Always, you know, maybe the server will fall over if somebody has a final exam and there's 500 students. Oh, we haven't had any of, that, any of those concerns, uh, thankfully, because all of our stuff really is hosted by the vendors now. Um, so yeah. D2L, the company hosts Sprite Space, the learning management system. That's been rock solid. It's been amazing. 
Uh, the one holdout we had is we were using a, a platform called Adobe Connect Meeting for online classes. And that was uh, being run on a, a server on campus, which worked great. It, 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 was, it was good for what it was spec for, but it was spec for up to 500 people. Mm. And when COVID hit, we're looking at a community of 40,000 people all of a sudden needing to be online. Yeah. That's bigger than 500. So we had to figure this out. Uh, thankfully, there was a pilot uh, in a couple of faculties on campus who had already been using Zoom for about a year. And they were like, uh, we should use Zoom. And we're like, okay, cool. So we, uh, <laughs> we actually did a really fast implementation of that. Uh, which was amazing. We had, from the time the contract was signed in mid-March, uh, 24 hours later, we had it implemented as the ucalgary.zoom.us environment, integrated with single sign-on, we had it through supply chain, we had support resources up, integrated with D2L with Brightspace, so it was integrated in courses. The fastest implementation of anything I've ever seen in my wow. life. And wow. by and large, it basically worked, which yeah. was amazing. Yeah. Uh, we're still using it, right? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but extremely rapid because the infrastructure supports it. So the, the main limiting factor before, when we host things on campus, so you've got a server on campus, depending on where people are, so if you've got somebody, say, in Asia or, or Africa or, or, or Europe, and they need to connect to the server, they have to go through whatever internet connection they're getting to to get to our server on campus. Works fine mm -hmm. when you're here. It may be problematic when you're elsewhere. Uh, when we're using our vendors, they've got global infrastructure and all of a sudden, wherever you're connecting from, you're into their infrastructure and then using their sort of their, their uh, broadband connections between their servers. And that takes a lot of the load off. So when we all of a sudden had, you know, 40,000 people hammering, we had, uh, it was tens of thousands of meetings per, per day at one point in mm, just yeah. insane levels of, of load. And I was waiting for something to blow up. Nothing did. That was <laughs> shocking. Uh, so yeah, we had that. And now we're actually, uh, the, the biggest problems we had. So what my, my role at the university in this case, uh, I'm, I'm what's called the business lead. So I represent the people who use the software, not so much the IT and security aspect of it, but mm -hmm. instructors okay. and students. So I'm, I'm trying to make sure that we have the tools configured in ways that support what instructors and students need from it. Mm -hmm. And when I approach a platform, Maybe to a fault, I say, well, let's leave things as open as possible. Let's just see what people do. Let's not lock things down. People will behave. It'll be awesome. And we did that with Zoom. Let's let them do whatever they want. And yeah, it, as occasionally happens, that kind of blew up in our faces a little bit because uh, not you guys, but students try to take advantage of the opportunity of a tool being open to, to play pranks, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. we had a lot of Zoom bombing incidents and we mm -hmm. were looking initially because there was a lot of press at the time. It was in the New York Times, it was in Washington Post, Zoom bombing, it's insecure. Uh, and there were some concerns that they were being mitigated. What we actually found was students were uh, sharing Zoom login uh, URLs and passwords even on mm -hmm. internet forums. So, hey guys, come oh. to my class, it'll be awesome. And they come in and they share video and they do, frankly, horrific things in the class yeah. for kids. Yeah. Um, and in response to that, you've got to lock things down. And now we're trying to you know, unlock things a little bit and sort of see where we go. Um, it, it's this really difficult position. I really want to have all these tools open as wide open as possible, but we need to do it in a way that's safe and responsible, that students can be in a class and not be worried about what they're going to be exposed to by somebody pulling a prank. Uh, and it was yeah. some horrific stuff going on. We made sure we shut it down and we have processes in place to identify the people and, 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 and deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And we try to deal with it not by locking the software down, but by we already have processes in place. Uh, so trying to find that way if we're not militarizing these tools and mm -hmm. we're, not, uh, we're not trying to like weaponize the logs or anything either, right? We're trying, these are teaching and learning tools. And that's the cool thing yeah. coming into this. These are 
these have to be environments for teaching and learning. You're not going to learn if you feel like you're in a police state. Yeah. Nobody yep. wants to be there. You're certainly not going to be engaged, right? So we're trying to find ways, how can we do that so that the tools as much as possible feel like they belong to students and instructors um, yeah. and involving students and instructors with those decisions. We have uh, a committee on campus called the uh, Learning Technology Advisory Committee. I co-chair that with, uh, with Leslie Reed, our Vice Provost Teaching and Learning. Mm-hmm. And it's an f- amazing committee where we've got instructors and students and staff from all faculties. And we're talking about, well, what does learning technology, what do digital tools mean to you? What are you actually looking for? As opposed to, well, we've got a license for a thing. Uh, make sure you use the thing. Well, nobody, we, I don't care about that. I care about how, how are you enabled in your teaching and learning? And yeah, let's have those conversations. Right. And some really amazing stuff has come out of that. It's, it's, it's a really fun group to work, to work with. Yeah. That's awesome. No, I, I love the, the whole like idea of, you know, using it as a tool to engage and, and not like being scared of anything. And, and, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the kind of relation earlier to video games and teaching and all that got good stuff. You know, I, I've read multiple articles here and there of just like, yeah, how, how linked video games and education is. And, you know, you've made some really good connections there and it, like ultimately it seems like it comes down to that, that engagement piece, right? Of Absolutely. Keeping if passive, students, you're yeah. watching Netflix. That's not education, right? People talk to, well, we want the, the, the Netflix for education. I don't want the Netflix for education. I want people to make stuff. Yeah. 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 What are like the best kind of like strategies? You know, we talk about zoom here, but uh, uh, are there any other specific kind of technologies or kind of tools that, um, you think are kind of like the most beneficial or most engaging, let's say? Well, I think one I really want to see us as a university take, uh, since COVID <laughs> happened, uh, it's, it's been getting a lot more use, but UJ is our video uh, uh, platform. Video uh, does content management. It also does live streaming, which is kind of amazing. Hmm. Um, so anybody who has an account, students as well, can go to uj.ucalgary.ca. There's a, uh, I think it's a, a create recording button and that gives you uh, a download. And then from your desktop, you can, like we're doing here in Zoom, you can record your video and your microphones. You can have multiple microphones, multiple cameras, do your screen recording, um, and you can actually produce media really, really easily. And then it's got a web-based editor. So if you want to do basic editing, like I said, um, four times, and I want to just chop that out, or I want to splice two segments of video together, yeah. um, that kind of editing mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier for people to make stuff. And I'm really curious to see what people make with it. So we have, we have platforms that I think could be really useful. Um, we're also, we've done a lot of work with, um, uh, so right now, if you look at Brightspace D2L, our learning management system, for students, there's really only two places where they can contribute content. Uh, they can submit assignment, they can upload an assignment, so a document, mm-hmm. or they can respond in discussion, discussion board posts. Yeah. That's not a lot of engagement, is it? I mean, or, and there's also, sorry, there's an activity stream. If it's been enabled in a course, it's like a Facebook wall you can post on, right? Yeah. Not a lot of engagement. So we're looking at things. We've, we've actually run a platform called UCalgary Blogs, which is a WordPress instance. Oh, okay. uh, anybody can go to it, ucalgaryblogs.ca. It's uh, hosted on not the most awesome server, but it's what we have available. Uh, and it's WordPress. And the idea is anybody from the university community, go to it, make a website, do what you need to do. And it's been everywhere from people have created it for their research projects. Uh, they've created it for courses. So you might have a course of, say, 50 uh, education technology students uh, was one that went in there. And they're posting daily uh, uh, content to it, right? And discussion and comments, comments and that kind of thing. Technically, it could happen in a discussion board in D2L, but the tools feel different enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of breaks the engagement. So we're trying to provide tools that provide that engagement. 
Yeah. Um, we had one actually, the, the information visual, visualization course I took with Sheila Carpendale. We did a daily uh, InfoViz journal as a UCAGA blog site. So every oh. day, each of the students in the class had to find a, an example of InfoViz, create a graphic about it, you know, screenshot or whatever, and share some comments. Uh, and then all of the students would sort of cross comment on the stuff. And it turned into this really cool kind of thing. Like someone said, it's also like Pinterest. Well, okay, it is, but it's, you know, without the, without the shopping context, I guess. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. But having that flexibility, right? You create a site, you, you decide who's going to be in it, not PeopleSoft. I want, you know, five people that maybe some aren't even at the university, but these people should be in it. It can be public or not, right? Which is something we can't do in Brightspace. Mm -hmm. um, so giving people ability to have tools, and yes, they could go off and use WordPress anywhere else, and if, if they want to, that's awesome. Um, but there are times when you want things to be managed by, by the university infrastructure. You want to have some oversight and support and that kind of thing. And that's kind of where that comes in. Yeah. Uh, so finding ways to provide, trying to, you know, sneak. Is, uh, so you kind of your blog started where I basically snuck a copy of WordPress onto a server that I managed. Didn't ask, didn't tell anybody. Mm. This was like 13 years ago or something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been there for a while. Yeah. Um, and it snowballed. And all of a sudden people are using it and we're like, ooh, we should probably make sure that keeps running. <laughs> that's awesome yeah so, and so that, grow, but that's yeah that's around the time you did your masters of science right you i believe you did a whole thesis on um the the whole using uh wordpress in in courses yeah yeah so the uh so my master's of science thesis again master of science in ed in ed tech and i was looking at um so our at the time, I was kind of an anti-LMS guy. I was like, we can't be locking down in the, we need to do things in the internet, do it, go in the wild. So yeah. the idea of my research was, well, let's take a look at, at the time it was Blackboard, we weren't on Brightspace yet. So let's compare what happens in a Blackboard course to what happens in a course done in WordPress. And in the mm -hmm. back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, we're finally gonna have data that says, yes, we have to do things in WordPress down with the LMS. And uh, we're going to have some data or at least some, some descriptions around that. And what, what I found is basically students follow orders. And if the instructor says do a certain thing and do it in Brightspace, they're, gonna, they're not going to say, oh, but we really want to, fine, we'll do that. I want to get the grade. I want to make mm -hmm. sure we follow the, follow the rules. Yeah. Um, so what I yeah, basically found, yeah, the tool is important for engagement, but not for what students actually do. So they'll, they'll, they'll do the thing grudgingly in whatever you ask them to do. They'll feel differently about it, but they'll do it. I mean, yeah. the goal is to get the grade and get out of the course, not to not to uh, change where you publish content online. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Do, do, do you think that uh, we're actually going to get to a point in society where our technologies are kind of creating enough engagement to almost substitute the classroom experience? I don't know. I mean, a few months ago, I would have said no. Um, that, that we'd be looking at things like blended and whatnot, but with the whole COVID thing, right, it's kind of forced everybody to change the perspective on that. So what we're looking at for these, what are, I call remote teaching what we have now. This isn't really real, what's, what's online, uh, online teaching and learning. Uh, effective online courses are designed. They're not, they're, it's not just, a, here's my face-to-face -face course and I'm gonna drag some stuff into Brightspace and then I'll call it online. Yeah. Um, this yeah. is almost like an emergency salvage operation. We're going to, yes, we're going to get stuff out there so we can call it a course and be done with it, but it's not a designed experience. And I think what I, what I'm hoping we get to, and I think we've got glimpses of it where the tools and platforms become an ecosystem. And mm -hmm. if you want to do this back to the patterns and, and, uh, things I was talking about for my research, if you want to do this kind of a thing, you use this tool or this combination of tools and you use it in these ways and we can support you in that. Uh, if you don't need to do the thing, don't worry about that tool. So they become, um, 
the, the concept is from uh, uh, David Weingartner, the uh, small pieces loosely, loosely joined. I actually did a presentation on that, uh, looking at RSS as, oh, the, cool. as the, the loosely joined part years yeah. ago with, with some mm -hmm. colleagues of mine. Um, but that's the idea I think we need to get to. Instead of having a monolith or a series of monoliths, we have these small tools, and they could be bespoke, they could be DIY, they could be bring, build your own, bring your own, mm -hmm. and we connect them loosely together so they don't all have to be connected to PeopleSoft. They don't all have to go through you know, that kind of infrastructure. We're not there yet because I, I don't think as, uh, as a university or as, as these, proce these processes aren't mature enough to, to really support that without it just being, right. go do whatever you want. The risk... It's tempting, but the risk is if, if we just say go do whatever you want, the experience for the students kind of sucks because they have to learn mm -hmm. all of these different tools. They've got to have maybe 50 different logins. They've got to, yeah. and it becomes kind of chaos, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea of the ecosystem is how do you find flexibility so that teachers and students are able to do what they need to do without having to battle against the limits of the software that's provided by the institution? Mm, that's an interesting thought just because like, you know, we've seen in the past, right, technology, right, it kind of catches up to where life is, right? And now we've had this massive, you know, global kind of shift in how we go about our daily lives. And, uh, you know, technology will end up will end up catching up to this point as well for us. And uh, I'm just curious as, as, you know, on your thoughts on like, do you even think that the physical classroom will even be a necessity? in you know 10 15 years because i think necessary might not be the word i think we will always have classrooms uh, right we're, we're we are a gregarious species we like to be together uh and sometimes that happens to be you know physically with atoms um and i think if it makes sense to be physically together if there's something that just can't be replicated online classrooms absolutely will always be a be a thing but I think what we're finding is the tools are becoming rich enough that we can actually have pretty engaging experiences um, online. And obviously we can't. People live online, right? They're, they're TikToking and all these kind of things. This is all happening. But that's a lot of that is kind of ephemeral, right? It's stuff that doesn't really matter, right? It's, it's yeah. video of a cat or whatever. And yes, I saw it and I chuckled and moved on. What we're finding is now these kinds of media experiences really are becoming more real, more maybe high stakes, more integral in our life not just ephemeral not just you know the, the fluff that goes away and nobody cares about um, right so i think we will especially as the tools evolve like even zoom i mean as a, as a really simple one five years ago having a tool that worked at this level was science fiction literally science you yeah. watch a movie and you'd see oh hd full screen video with 25 people in a room wow that's an, now that's just taken for granted right so we're yeah. getting it's almost like punctuated equilibrium there's a bunch of development and i think COVID's going to uh, trigger a bunch because there's been a bunch of investment and then things advance and they kind of plateau for a little bit as we kind of mm -hmm. make sense of it let's understand what this means how can we adapt it and then a new set of needs are identified and there's another burst of development in innovation i think we're right i think we're just in the early stage of a a round of innovation and sort of this this flourishing of let's figure stuff out. We had that before too, with when the internet first came out, uh, and it was a research web, it was a military and research web, uh, a network rather. And it plateaued for a bit, it was used to connect, you know, intercontinental ballistic missiles. And well, that's not something that really affects <laughs> students and teachers, but it was adapted, yeah. <laughs> co-opted, let's use it for teaching and learning. And then we had things like uh, what was called a, a, a tilde web space. Everybody would log into their server using text, 
and they could, any files they put in this folder was actually a website. Well, that's kind of cool. And oh, there was the same yeah. thing. There was this big cluster of, oh, what can I put in these text files? And now I, I've got my course online or I've got my, my research is now online. And, that, this big, and then what happened is we had these big corporate um, platforms come in and kind of suck the life out of that. And people mm -hmm. are, well, I'll just do that on Facebook. And, I'll, and yes, it connected people, but I think it really took the ownership of this innovation away from individuals. And it's just, well, mm -hmm. I guess I'm doing that in, in, in Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever else. And they don't own it anymore. Yeah. And it's that ownership that I think we're going to get back to. 100%. We're in this weird uncanny valley now where we feel like we own our content when we post online. <laughs> we don't. Unless yeah. you have your own web space, unless you're managing your own infrastructure, you don't own your stuff online. A company does, and they're going to slap ads on it and sell the data about who sees it, all that kind of gross stuff. I think we're going to get past that. And we're not that's where things are going to get really interesting again. Mm, yeah. For the takeaways though, um, you know, we talked a lot of really good stuff with the, with the teaching and learning and uh, how important technology is. Um, you know, if you could sum up kind of what we talked about or, you know, even talk about moving forward here with the fall semester, um, are, what are the big kind of big picture ideas that people should be kind of considering here? Oh, yeah. Well, when I'm working with people who are uh, designing courses or integrating technology, the first thing I, I, I say is do one thing. Don't start with this big thing in your head. I'm going to design the perfect online course and I'm going to integrate all of the technologies and I'm going to do all of the things. No, start with one thing. Get your head around that. Get some competency, some experience, and then build on that. Then add another thing or change the thing. Um, having an iterative approach where you're actually building some expertise and some understanding and then going to the next thing instead of just rushing as fast as you can. And it's exhausting. It's not sustainable. So mm. that, that's kind of like the theme for everything I'm doing, trying to do it in a way that's sustainable, that people aren't burning out doing a thing that they're not trying to overextend and then realize after the fact that they're overextended and it all collapses. But how do you do things in an iterative approach and trying to be strategic about it? What's the thing I can do that's going to make the most impact on my course. Okay. That's the one thing I'm going to do. And then I'm going to do one more thing and then one more thing. Uh, and then that combined with having ownership of it. This is your course, both for students and instructors as well. This is your course and having ownership on how are you going to do this? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, those, those two things, the, the best advice I give to anybody. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome advice. Yeah, really, really good. And I'm sure the, the, all of the faculty listening will be very appreciative. And actually, maybe for students, like, is there any kind of, kind of considerations even for students that these students should be uh, kind of thinking about as we move into the fall semester here? Biggest thing I would say to students is be engaged. Don't be a passive student. Um, yep. Show up prepared. And I know this sounds like, Dow, come on, dad. Um, but <laughs> seriously, that is when I work with, with instructors and students in classes, that is what makes the difference between the students that do really well and they understand. I don't know if it affects the grades. I, I don't see the grades so that this is not about that. This is about people who take something interesting away from the course are the ones that gave themselves to the course, that opened themselves up and actually were participating. Um, if you're right. going to sit there with your arms across your, your chest and just kind of like doodling for 50 minutes, three times a week, <laughs> that's what you're getting out of the course. Um, yeah. So be engaged, ask questions, be, you know, be, be a part of the process. Um, I mean, for students, this is your course, like you're, you're in a way you're, you're paying tuition to be there. This is a huge chunk of your life. 
Yep. If you're not going to take what you need out of it, well, that's, that, that, that's, that's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. And that I goes agree. for like, have a conversation with your instructor and other students about, well, how do we want to, what do we want to do in this course? Mm-hmm. Like, is it enough just to do a discussion board post in a, in a Brightspace course? There might be. If you have ideas on how things might be done better, have that conversation with your instructors and, and uh, TAs and, and other students. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a two-way street there for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, just get the most out yeah. of it. You, you get sure. what you uh, put in kind of idea, right? Love it. Really good advice. And I guess last piece here is if uh, people want to learn more about you or all of the stuff that we kind of talked about today, where can they go? I know you have a lot of kind of interesting resources here. Yeah. So for the two hats, so work stuff, uh, Calgary Learning Technologies, uh, that's through the Taylor Institute for Teaching and Learning, and that's taylorinstitute.ucalgary.ca. And we've got all kinds of resources on that. For the research side of things, uh, uh, darcynorman.net, and everything is uh, is there. So I've got contact forms and all kinds of stuff. So that's yeah. that's how to get a hold of me. That's cool. Yeah, and we understand you also have a podcast and uh, a bunch of other cool kind of uh, resources on uh, your website there too. I do a very occasionally updated podcast. I had a good intent, and then you know, life kind of happens. So yes, <laughs> I appreciate how hard it, how you guys work at this. Yeah, it's uh, it is kind of a difficult challenge keeping up, but uh, you're doing a lot of really really cool stuff uh, apart from the podcast already. So uh, just keep up all the great stuff you're doing, and uh, yeah, well, thank you uh, again for coming on the show. We learned uh, a lot. Right on. Thanks both of you. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into What the Tech, a podcast powered by the Computer Science Department of UCalgary. If you enjoyed the show. Subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow us on Instagram at UFC underscore CPSC for more computer science content. If you have any questions or want to suggest future episode topics, you can also visit anchor.fm slash whatthetech-ucalgary. There, you can leave us a voice message with your questions for a chance to get featured in future episodes. Thanks again for listening. Join us next week for another episode of What the Tech.